Welcome to Roger and me, aka Roger parentheses Ebert close parentheses and me for SEO search purposes. This is a podcast where film critic Mark Dusick and film critic me, Brett Arnold, review all the movies coming out every week. Every Friday, there are new movies coming out in theaters and now on streaming on VOD, various places. Our goal is to review everything that's coming out theatrically. That's pretty much the whole goal. We also do streaming stuff because we're inundated with it. And sometimes those streaming things do debut in a theater. In New York City, they almost always debut in at least one theater. So on a technicality, we're, we're getting all the streamers. We're getting all the VODs. I want to say hello and welcome to everyone on YouTube today because Mark and I accidentally... <laughs> We we matched more than based on everything else about us. I cannot, we also I cannot we also believe have, it. <laughs> we also have matching shirts. And to be clear, it's not like th- it's a crazy pattern or some sort of stripey thing. We're both just wearing plain white tee. Oh, so. mine's a little purple. That's the thing. Oh, the okay. lighting. Okay, I got really confused because yours looks a bit purple, or mine looks <laughs> faded, and so it's like. Yeah, you just logged on, and I was looking like I felt like I was what? looking in a mirror. Yeah, it's just like okay, uh, bald guy, white shirt, headphones over his ears. What am I looking at here? I did it, shave yesterday, so I mean, yeah, at least, okay. you know, I got the That's clean. <laughs> I got got the head shave, but I leave the beard on. That's how you tell Mark and I apart. I've got the facial hair; he does not. I'm sure a lot of people on YouTube are like, "Which one is which?" I don't understand. Uh, so Mark is here as per usual, to talk about... I didn't count them. I think there's eight. I, I think there's eight movies today. Um, none of... There's not like a big marquee release at all this week. There's no... Is there anything that's getting a wide release this weekend? I mean, no, there isn't. I mean, I think the estate is the closest thing that we might have. To well, you. that is repulsive. That is a I, disappointment. So, <laughs> I, I mean, we all know why. It's because next week... Anything that comes out this week is gonna just, you know, sink like a stone. Yeah, and then yeah, the 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 drop for next week is gonna be, um, <laughs> um, significant. To put it and uh, that's put it because of the new Marvel movie, aka Black Panther two, aka Wakanda Forever, which I have seen, but I am sworn to secrecy until the embargo breaks. I believe on Tuesday, uh, so we will be covering Black Panther. Wakanda forever next week and uh all the spoil no, I guess well maybe we'll get into spoilers on that episode just because there's not much else to talk about so we'll do our usual brief little capsule review up top and then I have a feeling we're going to go a little longer and talk about a few spoiler elements because you kind of have to when you're talking about that movie as you'll find out next week uh this week Again, nothing major in terms of like wide releases within thousands of theaters. But we've got a lot of small stuff that's really good, in my opinion. We've got Armageddon Time from acclaimed filmmaker James Gray. You may know him from Ad Astra, uh, The Immigrant. What's that one he did? That was the mainstreamy one. We Own the Night. Was that him? That was one, yeah. yeah. Also, uh, Lost City of Z or Z. Lost City of Z, which people... People are over the moon about that movie. I know people who say it's like one of the best movies of the past however many years, decade, one of the best movies of the 2000s period or whatever you want to call this era. And I saw that movie in such a bad, I had such a bad theatrical experience with like annoying people near me and behind me that I have like, you know, reviewed the movie negatively. It was like, I didn't like that. I was bored. But 
clearly it was other stuff going on. And I've been meaning to rewatch that movie ever since. And I haven't. And after loving Ad Astra and after watching Armageddon Time, I, I feel like I should do that even more than I did before. I really got to get to that one again. But Armageddon Time, that is out in limited release now. We've got Causeway, I believe, also out in limited release. And on Apple, it's an, one of those A24 movies that go straight to Apple. We've got Soft and Quiet, which I think this is a theatrical only. Um, yeah, I think it might be. Very strange. Because uh, just be- I-, I say strange because I hadn't heard anything about it. And I think if they had tried to market this in any way and sell it, they could have. It's like definitely like a horror adjacent horror thing. If you want to, you know, if you want to describe it that way, you can. It's a Blumhouse movie. You could definitely have sold this as a horror film. And, you know, all I'm trying to say is horror is hot at the box office. And they could have made an effort on this one. That's yeah, called. And it, is a, it is digital and on demand, too. Oh, okay. It, it is matter. digital yeah, and on demand. So you can rent Soft and Quiet from Blumhouse, and I really think you should. We've got Something in the Dirt, which is limited release and also on VOD. That is from Benson and Moorhead, the guys who did The Endless, which I really enjoy. And God, they've done a few other things. Uh, Synchronic is spring spring is like one of their first and then there was one that's like basically a prequel to the endless or like in the endless universe but i forget what the title is but it's a good movie and i like it i'm blanking at the the moment they did that marvel thing moon knight that was like their big they're doing a real non-indie thing uh and then yeah uh synchronic was like it sold to netflix after doing poorly at festivals and was probably their most watched movie because it was in the netflix top 10 and that's unfortunate because Synchronic was kind of a mess. But Something in the Dirt, their newest movie, which I saw at Sundance and is out now. Uh, we've got The Estate, which is uh, the movie we alluded to earlier, which has a stellar cast. And that's all. Um, Nocebo, a movie that I believe is in limited release and then going to Shutter. We've got Next Exit. A movie that's released strategy, I don't know. I think it's probably a VOD and in theaters. Very few theaters. And then we've got Weird, which is a straight-to-Roku movie. The first of its kind. A straight-to-Roku film. A biopic about Weird Al Yankovic. Or, you know, it's obviously a parody of biopics because it's a Weird Al Yankovic thing. Uh, So we're talking about all of those. And that was quite an introduction. So let's just go right into the first film of the day, which is James Gray's Armageddon Time, because I'm rearing up for a fight with Mark over this one. Here we go. United States stands for an idea whose time is now. Ronald Reagan will win tonight. What a schmuck. I think I want to be an artist when I grow up. You're going to be an artist if you want to be. Nothing's going to stop you. You're going to college. You'll have dinner with kings if he plays his cards right. Mm-hmm. I really like your stickers. My stepbrother gave them to me. He's in the Air Force. That's so cool. <laughs> How dare you? I'm a menace to you. Well, you're not to associate with him again. What do you mean? Why? I think you know what I mean. I had the pleasure of catching this movie at I'm not sure if it was its premiere or anything, but it screened at the New York Film Festival, which means there was a Q&A after the press screening, which means I hastily left because I'd never stick around for those things because they're insufferable, which means this time I got to 
you know, walk by Anne Hathaway and her posse right as they walked in. And it was, it was, I was blinded by Anne Hathaway. It was quite a moment. Mark, what is Armageddon time? Armageddon time is apparently um, semi-autobiographical account of James Gray's childhood, specifically 1980, the election year and that period close to the election as that trailer clip showed. Um, He is from a Jewish family um, going way back all the way to the Ukraine pre-World War II, immigrated to London and then to the United States. And here they are. And he is of what the third generation, second generation of that family in the United States. And is just trying to wrestle with the complications of being a kid and in the middle class and trying to get somewhere. And I, it's mostly about the family in the end, even though it starts off kind of being about his friendship um, with this young boy who happens to be black in his class. And that kind of becomes the crux of where the movie's moral messaging goes. And I think that's where we're going to have the biggest disagreement about this movie is how it handles that relationship and specifically how it handles commenting upon it or wrestling with it in any kind of form. Cause I've read a couple of things that have, haven't changed my mind, but at least I can kind of see the perspective. Yes. And I think, I don't know where you're at in terms of how much that relationship figures into your opinion on the movie. But for me, it figures into it quite a lot. And I don't buy how the movie handles that relationship and specifically that character that is his friend. I totally get that. And I knew that once I saw this movie, I knew that would be the thing, the point of contention. Because it's hard to talk about without spoiling it, right? It Um, is. Yeah. I I think we get, but I think we can get to it without spoiling it because there's a lot of, there's a lot going on with that friendship at the start and not, and not just where it ends up, but how the family reacts to him being friends with this kid. I think that we can kind of hint at where the movie's going ultimately by yes and i guess what i would say about that narrative arc with with paul and johnny the white kid and the black kid is that it's more interesting to think about it as like a movie about class than it is a movie about race i think that unlocks more interesting takes about the movie but also that maybe you read bilga's review there was bilga's review that i thought was really good and there was Cam Austin Collins's review, who wrote in the Rolling Stone uh, a really good review. But both of them, I think, get at this point where the limiting, the limited perspective we get on Johnny and how that's baked into the movie, and how Paul didn't understand his, like anything about Johnny's home life, and he couldn't possibly know. So how could James Gray, the director, possibly know? So like. They would, anytime you're about to get some background on Johnny, the camera basically is like afraid to even go there. It like shies away and sticks with this family because it's a movie about like, you know, a Jewish family and how they're like, you know, they see themselves as the victim, right? They see themselves as persecuted through their history and like the stories they tell. Uh, Anthony Hopkins as the grandfather is mostly telling Paul, like, you see that they are the persecuted and the victim and like, that's why they're here and all that stuff. And then like Paul or the movie is kind of about Paul learning. Like even there's no, like there, people aren't one thing like the Jewish people can be victims, 
of the world, so to speak, and like be treated poorly. But so can black people, and they can, and they could be the ones perpetuating that against black people and not even knowing it, because you know, this movie. I think what's what's gonna why people are disagreeing so much about this movie is like it's not neat and like it doesn't like tie up anything in a bow and like it doesn't give you any lessons or anything. I just feel like it's like a really raw slice of life movie where it's like, yeah, this kid learned the hard way through his own idiocy honestly like this kid was a kid and did stupid shit and didn't realize how it affected this other kid in his life due to his race so it's like it sounds so like eye-rolly liberal self-congratulatory when i describe it that way and is that part of why you you are like no i would i i might actually feel a little bit more comfortable with it if it were a little more liberally handholdy messagey type thing because it is my problem is it's trying to do both things. It's trying to be like this slice of life and you have, but it's also trying to be teaching those lessons. So you have Hopkins who's great here. I've just, I have to say that he's, he's, oh, he's great, great in this performance. Yeah. Um, and he has the scene with the grandson, just explaining like these things happen. How did you feel when the, the, this kid at this prep school that the, that um, Paul ends up at, uses a racial slur against Johnny and he hears that. And he said, how did that make you feel? And he just explains like, this is, you know, how you feel with that is also how you should then react and treat him, be a mensch to this kid. I really love that scene. And that scene is about message making and it's trying to get to a point. And I'm not sure if the movie arrives at anything beyond just saying like, but in the end, it's hard. It's difficult to be a mensch to someone if they are being persecuted and you are on and the you opposing the, end. Yes. And you could yeah. be, you could get into trouble. And I, I, it's, it's clear that Gray is wrestling with that entire concept. Like, how far can you take your own survival as the entire movie frames it is? It's not about just succeeding, it's about surviving. Yeah. And, I I can you can tell you can tell that he is having a problem with it and the perspective is very very limited but there are also moments and this is another thing another problem I have with it you have like a couple of scenes where it does kind of take Johnny's perspective so you have that scene with him on the subway train where some you know black teenagers come up to him and you know kind of scold him and insult him for thinking yeah. like he could get into NASA yeah. and it's like the you can there's a close-up on his face after that there are this a set of close-ups and you can tell like this is his perspective this is where he's coming from this is what he's feeling and then there's another scene where it's just a quick flash of him talking to his grandmother yeah yeah Yeah. and it's so it's trying to give us this understanding like there is a person there with an entirely different life going on here I think the, that's yeah. I think that yeah. Go ahead. But I was just saying, I think yeah, that's great. But that's just it. giving the audience that glimpse that the that the yeah, characters are not privy to. Yeah, right? and it's just a glimpse. And I I feel as if that, that's a bit cheating. And it's trying sure. to get us to think there is something more going on here in terms of like just trying to understand another person's perspective. But the way that the movie just kind of never crosses over. It could either. I think it's an. I I hate to put it as an either or, but I might've accepted it more if it had been giving Johnny more screen time, more weight, more emotional understanding of what he's going through. Yeah. Or if it had 
just kept him completely in the background as it does for so much of the movie. It keeps him in the background and literally in shadow at times. Yeah. And then um, it pushes him out of the movie. It like erases and, yeah. him out of it. As I think as Bilga put it, uh, you know, this movie has like a pall of shame hanging over it as like, the yeah, movie formally erases him the way he was raced out of Paul's life. And then, you know, I appreciate those things, but like it's, 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 I hesitate to, I hate to be like, you know, it's too subtle to appreciate the first time type of shit. But like, it d- definitely is a movie that I appreciated way more after sitting with it and like thinking about certain things. Cause it's a movie where really small moments that seem disconnected are subtly re- actually connected, I would say. Like the whole thing about NASA, right? Like these two bo- boys bond over their love of NASA and like they share patches with each other. The Johnny gives Paul a patch. And then when Paul's grandfather buys him that rocket, it doesn't even occur to Paul to bring Johnny along or ask him to come play. And like that shit, like just talking about it, like gives me chills. And like this movie is just very uh, is delicate. The word it's very just like deliberate. And ev- like, I think it, I didn't understand this when I was first watching it. I, f- I was a little understated. I, I found it to be a little understated, but I think that understatedness is actually kind of piercing. When, if you were to watch it again, maybe I feel like you'd be like, Ooh, that scene smarts, that scene hurt. And like, this movie is just like full of those moments for me where it's just like, this is a movie that really hurts and you can feel the shame from behind the camera of the guy making it. It's not like an apologia or something. Like, I don't know if it's like him apologizing for his, family and his place in the world like this is just the way it is it's just him saying this is what it was like back then and uh here's what i learned and it doesn't like sugarcoat it but does it i don't know i don't know i think that's that's a good question and i the big thing like this is what i learned i don't get a sense of much learning i think if this had been about learning a lesson maybe james gray would have handed this movie over to a different filmmaker would have written the script with someone else and let that perspective of Johnny come through in a way that could have been a lesson learned that could have shown that there's a lesson learned, but here, and I get the idea. I really do. I mean, this is kind of what it didn't, like I said, it didn't flip me, but it did make me think that this idea of shame, like, yes, it is about him and the family. I, I I forgot. I think it was, I, I think it was a comment on letterbox on, um, um, mm-hmm. Josh Larson's review. Somebody noticed that it was like the idea of like this family has assimilated into the American way so much that they have become as prejudiced against people as people were to them. That that is yeah. like the basis of the American way is just to be prejudiced against people of different well, races. Yeah, and, and like classes. this movie has and I get literal it. literal Trump cameos where Trump family members yeah. are here, and then they are also you know, talking out of their ass about being the victims and how you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and all that Reagan era shit. Yeah. And that feels like it's trying to get at these bigger ideas that I, they didn't connect with me as much because yeah, the Trump cameos, they are literally cameos like Jessica Chastain plays Marianne. I guess. Yeah. It's kind of Donald's older sister. And then (laughs) um, somebody, Fred, the patriarch of the Trump family, they just, they're just there. And there are these ideas about like, yeah, just, the impossibility, the impossible concept of pulling your stuff up by your bootstraps and all that. And Reagan, the Reagan election is going on in the backdrop too. And it's trying to get at these bigger ideas about America and everything. And they, they didn't land with me because it is this very personal, intimate story. And the personal, intimate story about a kid learning a lesson about how difficult it is to be 
this ideal form of a thoughtful person who isn't prejudiced, who isn't this way, like other people around him. That doesn't land because the movie doesn't have its own perspective to make you feel as if the filmmaker has learned that lesson enough to give that perspective and to make us feel empathetic towards oh, yeah. another human being I don't who think... isn't his stand-in. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say, I don't think he... I feel like he made this movie and the ultimate statement is, like, I needed to make this movie to learn that or something. Like, I don't feel like in the movie he didn't learn shit. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, yeah. but again, like, yeah, he... But I mean, I've, <laughs> I don't know. It feels like the lesson's there. The the Hopkins character is telling the lesson. If you if it's taking this long and you have to make an entire feature film to learn that lesson, I don't. What does that tell us? Maybe it's good for him, but it's not that great there's for us dramatically or anything. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something interesting about the idea. So <laughs> say it sounds bad now amid all this anti-Semitism <laughs> from black from prominent black figures, but like the idea of a Jewish family and a black family and how that in the eighties, how that manifested like the Jewish people, uh, like the idea of the, the, the Reaganism being appealing or whatever to the Jewish people. And like, it's like an aspirational thing. Like I find that such an interesting, but idea. it wasn't to this family. Yeah. Reagan, Reagan. Well, yeah, the, that the was dad, in it. Yeah. yeah, the dad hates him, and that's another thing. You brought up the ideas of class. I do find that a fascinating perspective because Jeremy Strong plays the dad. The dad is like a he repairs man. Yeah, and the, he has this story. He tells Paul like when he was you know courting um, Paul's mother. The most of the family didn't like him because they found out he was a plumber and they were like, no, we don't, we don't approve of him, but it was Hopkins character who led him into the family. And yeah, if it had been about class specifically, I I do think that some of my issues with the movie would have been assuaged. I think it would have fit into the idea of having the Trumps and Reagan going on in the background of this would have felt a little better because we have this clear understanding of reagan and his policies in terms of the economy and we have a clear idea now of the trump family and what they've been up to but so in terms of if it had been about class so if johnny had not been a black boy and but just a poor kid maybe it would have been better i don't know but it does load things to an extent to make this character a black yeah i guess kid. i mean and you're watching it and you're watching you like to yeah. I'm just saying, if you're going to do that, you have to understand that there are issues that need to be addressed, that there are going to be obvious potholes that you could fall into. And I do think this movie does fall into a couple. I do feel like Johnny's character does fit a few too many stereotypes that don't make it that make him seem like he's just the black kid in class that Paul kind of is friends with. And it's it's a bad situation for him. And I don't get a sense of Paul. That is Johnny as that is what he was. That is I, exactly what he was. That, no, to no, no, James Gray as a child. To, if this is if this is to be believed, if it's to be believed, and that's the other story. thing, it's not yeah. it's not a documentary. It's a fictional yeah. film. It's it, we're yes. taking James Gray's word, and we are also we're also injecting our he own opinion that, that whole, this is. He claims that whole computer stealing thing like happened. Like it does. It it is very oh, man. <laughs> allegedly autobiographical. So shit like that, where you're watching the movie, like you know exactly how it's going to play out, right? Like you know exactly how that scene's going to play out because of the racial tension, right? Like yeah. I think the movie. I just don't know. Like I feel like I understand why you dock a movie for all these things, but I do think the movie is more clever than you and others are giving it credit for 
but I totally understand not connecting with it as someone who has not connected yeah. with previous I, James Gray films in a big yeah, way. And, and like I said, I can see the perspective of if it's about shame and it's about feeling guilty about all this, like, okay, I get that, but there's, I, I, I don't there's know. There's that moment movie... where like, was it Jer- uh, J- uh, uh, Jeremy Strong as his dad is basically telling him to like in the car. What is the gist of that scene? He's like telling him to, it's not to like give up, but he's kind of, it's just like you get the picture that this guy is not stupid and not a mean guy, which is interesting because earlier he was like a horror scene where he's like a, be- a oh, yeah. doting horrible father and breaks down a door. But like, I just like, you can tell he knows his place in society and like knows how to get ahead and like knows what to ignore. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like he gets that whole scene is him getting picked up after being arrested or whatever. I'm just trying to think of that scene. It sounds so long. Ago yeah, now. I do remember. Um, yeah, I, do I remember that scene remember. being really important, but it, uh, it, but it doesn't feel quite as important as what happened right before that. And the scene that they're yeah. leaving behind. Sure. And that kind of makes, I mean, but that's the thing. The I, whole movie to me is about the, like, I guess uh, the fading away of Johnny from his life and like how his privilege specifically caused harm to this other person. Yeah. And like, would you say does the, the last shot of the movie, does that show like, is that, is that why people are walking away from it being like, Oh, he's self-congratulatory bullshit. Like this guy's this Kyle uh, kid, uh, the child means well. And, he may ultimately contribute to perpetuate and benefit from the class divide, but he means well. Like, is that why people are, are walking? I don't know. I mean, upset? I don't know. The last, the last scene. Yeah. It's very just sort of, you know, yeah, it's, it feels sad. That's it about like, it. It, it feels like, sad. It it's like, okay. Yeah. yeah. You feel bad about what happened, but what does that mean on any kind of level other than, this very personal experience and turning this narrative into it's like I don't I you're yeah. watching a child's a child's perspective learn that you know mistakes he make in life if the if a black kid if his you know his equivalent at school which is Johnny and is a black kid his, that's how if that kid did the same thing it would be he would be affected differently and like again it sounds like the most boring liberal handholdy movie ever and i appreciate that the movie is not what you'd expect when you hear that i think it's more thorny than that i think it's complicated and i think it's purposeful in all the ways that it shows that it shunts the the black kid off to the side i think that's all baked into the direction of the movie and that's why i think it's um, yeah, but it's yeah, I could get that perspective, but also the movie still does that when it's trying to tell this other story. And it's it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's yeah, a pothole. I mean, it's, it's a, a pothole. It's a, it's a formal. Ch- I, I, you say pothole. I say like <laughs> formal, formal choice <laughs> that he <laughs> that's, made. And um, that's where we're at. We're just going to disagree on what it is. I mean, we both yeah. agree like this is what it's trying to do. And just, yeah, like the extent of how it succeeds is like, I don't think it succeeds in that regard because of what it's actually doing while it's trying to tell that story and you think it does and yeah i don't know yeah i i I can't explain why it worked for me especially after coming off uh well i guess i loved that astra but i really didn't like lost city of z and i know people really take a lot of meaning from it and i like this movie enough that as i mentioned earlier i'm like excited to go back and rewatch 
some James Gray stuff and see. I feel like because I feel like now after watching Armageddon Time, I feel like I know this man. <laughs> but like maybe that's wrong of me to feel that way because it is, as you said, it's a work of fiction, even though it's clearly a very autobiographical. And Paul Grass or whatever his name is is very clearly a young James Gray. Um, I thought it was a great movie. I think it's a what did I give it on letter? I think it's like a three and a half out of four on the Ebert scale movie. Yeah, I'm two out of four. Two, I really, two yeah, is, I was. Is, I feel I've, like you didn't. Uh, I didn't get your vitriol enough. What? I mean, it's not. It's not vitriolic. I did. I did like it when it's slice of life about the family. I think. I think the performances are fine. I think Hopkins is great. I think um, it does start off interesting and about yeah about ideas about class and. There's also that, but something, I mean, it's like even now, just talk, thinking about it, I'm thinking about the scene early on, how when he's like ordering dinner on the phone when his mom had made dinner already, and yeah. he's like, "Don't you fucking do it!" And like, now I'm thinking like how that just feels like just the, showing the excess of how much possible food this kid could have, next to the idea of Johnny at home with his grandma not having anything and having like broken shoes and socks and stuff like which we don't see and then you see very briefly but like you see very very briefly it's all from paul the i get thing. it I, but it's also I not from it. his perspective because we have that if, if so it is exclusively if, you're saying because it cheats his perspective yes, like one time that twice at least twice <laughs> i'm saying the cheat the cheat is important because the cheat is trying to tell us that it's trying to tell this story but the cheating then is becomes a cheat if it weren't if it weren't a cheat it would be telling johnny's story alongside paul's story but to just throw that one scene in is to say the movie is cheating and trying to get us to feel empathy for this character as a human being equal to paul because we get to see just a glimpse of his home life that's where it's cheating because it's not actually telling that story it has that story literally in the background literally in shadow that's the problem with it. It's like so if you it can't was like have it both fully, ways. Yeah, if it was fully implied for you, it would have been more powerful. It might have been. Yeah. It might have. Or it might not better. have even come it, through. Yeah, or it might have been yeah. complete. I might have hated yeah. it more. I don't know. <laughs> we can only go by the movie that we have. And for That's me, the movie true. we have tries to have it both ways and doesn't work. I'm going to go ahead and plug, of course, Mark's review on <laughs> MarkReviewsMovies.com, which I always read and I enjoyed. Even if I don't agree with the the take, I always appreciate the the what am I trying to say? The writing, the pathos, it's all good. <laughs> um, but I also want to recommend the two reviews that I know you said you were reading reviews that maybe change your perspective a little. Chaos and Collins, RollingStone.com, Armageddon Time uh, review there, and then Bilga's is in Vulture. And I think both of those, I basically tr- said a lot of the what's in there, but like. Those are the that's where if you want to read more well-read versions of what I was trying to say, those really helped open the film up for me, I guess. Um, I quite liked it. New York Film Festival, nowhere near like the top of the of the festival of like movies I saw. But that's how good of a festival that is. Where That was like the middle of the pack for me. Um we're gonna talk. Let's just move on. Yeah, right? let's, just, yeah, let's, let's calm it down here. You're like, please end this. Please no, end this segment. Um, no, I was gonna say that's perfect. Let's roll right into another one. We're gonna hopefully argue about for at, at length, um, and then we can cruise and agree the rest of the time, which sounds nice. Uh, here we go. Here's a trailer for Jennifer Lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry in Causeway on Apple. Hey, you good? 
And hey, look, if it get dark, now, you just ride it, okay? Yeah. Yeah. How do I do that? <laughs> All right. What's dark? Being back here. You don't got love for this city. not the city then what is boy i i found this movie very relatable uh as someone who would also rather get blown up in in afghanistan than spend a few days in my hometown (laughs) no offense to skokie and chicago and my family i was just making a joke uh mark what is causeway Causeway has Jennifer Lawrence as um she's in winter's bone mode. She is. Yeah, that's a that's a good starting point. Is yeah, it's Jennifer Lawrence acting very subtly and with a character that has a lot more depth to her than, you know, whatever happened at the end of, whatever the hell happened at the end of the Hunger Games series. Yeah, we all forgot because uh oh, I don't know if your perspective's the same, but I uh, uh, what's his name died, and then my interest died as well. Uh, yeah, Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Hoffman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, my interest kind of ended at somewhere around the middle of the first part of the third story. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, Mockingjay Part One. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, okay, that's where we're going. Anyway, so yeah, Jennifer Lawrence plays um, veteran from Afghanistan. She's part of the Army Engineering Corps, and she is wounded overseas in Afghanistan and ends up home. She goes through physical therapy. She has a traumatic brain injury. And after recovering to the extent that she can, she has to move back home to New Orleans, where she is very much not happy to be for reasons that are left a little bit vague and well, more than a little bit vague, quite vague, I would say, but they have to do with the relationship with her mother and other relationships that are kind of left unspoken. And it it starts off just kind of about watching Jennifer Lawrence's character try to adjust to life while hating living there. And then Brian Tyree Henry comes in as this auto mechanic based in New Orleans, obviously, who kind of lets the character open up and kind of lets the movie open up about some bigger ideas about grief and about trying to get through the day when you feel traumatized and just awful about the course your life has taken. We um, need like a staples easy button that just says trauma because we're going to be we that, we're going to hit that trauma button a lot when we talk about movies these days because I know a lot of horror movies are all about trauma and being subtle metaphors for trauma. This isn't a horror movie that's a metaphor for trauma, right? This is just Mm-mm. a movie that's about trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And that's traumatic sounds- tra- emotional yeah. trauma and physical trauma with a traumatic brain injury. I yeah, mean, yeah. Absolutely. And I totally agree with you that the movie really opens up once Brian Tyree Henry shows up. I've always loved him and he's always steals whatever thing he's in, but the degree to which he steals this from Jennifer Lawrence is kind of astounding. No shade on Jennifer Lawrence. I think she's fine here and like fine bordering on good, but 
her performance, I think it was Scout Tafoya, friend of the show, who said in Winter's Bone, she wasn't acting. She just like was, right? And that's what Brian Tyree Henry feels like in this movie. Whereas Jennifer Lawrence definitely feel the acting. Um, I don't know what if it, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because she's a big, huge star now, and I, it's my I'm bringing that to it. But Brian Tyree Henry stands out as the reason, the the real reason why I, I walked away thinking this movie is like much better than I expected from a straight to Apple like festival movie that most people you know gave the gentlemen's three out of five and never talked about again. But I I found it compelling because Brian Tyree Henry's character like I feel like he rarely gets a character that has like a compelling backstory and like as I mentioned I said pathos earlier I'll say it again I think he has some pathos here and there's there's like a lot to his character and he's able to bring all that to the you know to the forefront in such an incredible way and the way the movie reveals information about his character about his character's physical ailments uh, and what that stems from and why the emotional scars are there too. Uh, The reveal of information is natural and kept me engaged throughout the movie. And it's definitely a small indie drama. That's all people talking. And like, I, I wrote down (laughs) while watching it, there must be like five different stills from this movie that I've seen. There's like a poster. There's the image that's on the top of letterbox. And there's just like every one of them is like Jennifer Lawrence wistfully looking through a window and like a bus window or a window in her house. And it's just so there are so many of them and so many, so many promo photos out there that like five times throughout the movie, I was like promo photo, promo photo. (laughs) There's another one. And like, it was distracting and weird, but that's neither here nor there. I was just looking at the letterbox. Um, listing and it's funny because there's the photo on top and the photo on the poster and it's her looking two different directions off, off two different glass windows <laughs> so I say all that just to say it is the movie that that promises right like a very contemplative looking out the window wistfully um, indie drama but it definitely worked for me three out of four Ebert scale but why didn't it work for you? It didn't work for me because I I do feel as if the Brian Tyree can uh Brian Tyree Hill character is our Henry character is far more developed and far more interesting than Jennifer Lawrence's character. That's undeniably true. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm glad you agree with me on that. And I'm, I'm left wondering, I'm not a hundred percent certain by the end, what's going on with Jennifer Lawrence's character and her backstory in this movie. And I, I, I feel as if it's just trying to like, it's withhold. It's a very, it withholds so much. And it's so it's so strange, especially when you are trying to tell this story you're about trying to get an emotional connection, right? You're trying to get a, well, not just that, but you're also trying to tell the story about these two characters who come together through their experiences and sharing that level of grief and everything else is going on and not to let her character open up to the same degree doesn't feel quite right. It feels as if it's letting his character. I mean, that's, and that's great for him. As in terms of the character and the actor, because man, he is yeah, he's oh, yeah. great. Like, he takes and, the opportunity and runs with it. He's fantastic. I, yeah, I agree with you entirely. I've been waiting for Brian Tyree Henry to have a role like this because he he brings this level of empathy and just this deep. There's always like something like very very sad about him, no matter what role he's playing. But also, I don't know. He's just a great actor, and so to see him actually get a role like this with some real meat on his bones and being able to do something with it, it's great. I mean, yeah. 
Um, I mean, I think yeah. the movie does ultimately, I feel like, give you some closure on Jennifer Lawrence's stuff. I just don't think it's as compelling. At, but the, I don't know. She has that one scene in the jail that I that got kind of got me. Yeah, she goes and meets somebody that she hasn't seen in a while. Um, yeah. It's just you're right that once they introduce this other character, it's kind of hard to shift back to this other character that's definitely less interesting. And I don't know if it's because the movie just has her wistfully looking out windows for so much of it. <laughs> There's a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it is looking out windows. I mean, I had to mention it because I was looking at no, the you're right. fucking thing and I was like, this, there's a lot of that in this movie. Yeah. Like it's not that long of a movie, but there there was ample opportunities to cut promo shots of her looking wistfully out of things uh, in, in 92 minutes. Yeah. So take that with a grain of salt, I guess. But, you know, I see re- reactions from this movie ranging anywhere from like two and a half to four stars. And I like, I get both sides of that. Like I totally get why the four star people were enamored with it. And I totally get why the two star people were frustrated by it, but I am definitely leaning more towards the enjoyed it. And I think it was Scott Renshaw who said there's like something almost revolutionary about movies with simple ambitions, telling human stories about dealing with the aftermath of an event without talking about the event itself. And um, I think he appreciates that it's kind of elusive in that way. And um I do too, I guess. I, I like this movie. If there's anything else you want to say about why it was no, a letdown. Not really. Yeah. I mean it's it's got two you know, it's got a great performance, got a very good performance. Um and yeah, in terms of just letting these characters be oh, oh yeah, no, wait. Yeah, there is one thing. Boom. I did I did quite appreciate that it lets the relationship be platonic without the added weight of the will they won't they stuff. And yeah, there's a there's a moment here where I'm like, come on. Yeah, okay, <laughs> I was going to say, that. I was going to say, I'll leave but, it at that. I was going to say, but you're but. right, and I agree with that moment. That is a moment that honestly probably knocked it down a whole half star for me, where I was like really vibing what was happening, and then I was like, you had to do that, really. But like, I almost, I almost get it, and like want to hand it to it for going for it, even though we all were, you know, rooting against that happening. I think the it's, way it the way it manifests is like. It's natural in one way, but also mm-hmm. unnatural in another way. And I know the unnatural way is the way that I think the movie thinks is being natural, if that makes sense. Because the early on in the movie, yes. or if, this, if that made any sense to you, I think you'll understand what I'm getting at, which is early on in the movie, they mention like, honey, your brain is bad. <laughs> and it's, it's you're going to say things sometimes like to people. Like basically, it's like your social... I don't know what you want to call that, but like your social filter for social awareness and awkwardness or something is just like not working in your brain. So you might like say to someone's face something that you would normally never say to their face, right? Like I think that manifests earlier in the movie in some way. And then that's what that moment what I think was supposed to be was her speaking. Uh, yeah. Her, oh yeah, that was clearly right? what that was. Yeah. yeah, but like it also is it feels like an extreme version of that, right? Like Correct. Yeah, yeah. it's a I totally understand what you're saying. Uh were you were you at two on that or a two and a half? Uh, two and a half. Yeah. Reasonable. Reasonable on the fence. Yeah, very yeah. much on the fence. All right. Now I'm glad we both liked this movie because if we didn't, it would be a, it would have been hard. I feel like it's maybe hard to defend to someone who was like up in arms against it. And I'm sure there will be tons of people that are up in arms against this movie, which is so fucking wild. Uh, this is soft and quiet. Here's the trailer, which I'm hoping doesn't give away too much, but we'll find out. Today, I just want us to introduce ourselves, you know, get, get to know each other. There's, there's no agenda. 
that needs to be accomplished. I'm a teacher down at the uh, school and... Everything thus far has been a step in the right direction in the magazine, but we want to be careful with this first issue, right? We want to engage the mainstream, right? We, we, we can't come on too strong, okay? Soft on the outside, so vigorous ideas can be digested more easily. Now, we are the best secret weapon that no one checks at the door because tread quietly right it was bubbling up to the reveal but it didn't get there yet now i have no idea how to talk about this movie without, i don't either it's without tough. giving it away okay so i'll let you try <laughs> sorry i'm gonna throw you into the I'm gonna throw you into, i'm gonna throw you into the deep end I'm gonna say, i mean part how, of me is part of me is thinking like the big reveal in terms of what the whole setup is isn't too much of a spoiler just because it like happens almost immediately after the opening credit sequence. It does, but I gotta say, but also it is nice to discover uh, organically. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It's definitely a moment where you go, oh. But I also think that that moment is almost a fake out in how crass, yeah, a little like, bit, in yeah. How like in like the tone, I guess, because the movie is like more subtle and horror movie like in a different way than the very like i would say almost campy reveal that it has is that does that make sense to you i think yeah because they say like when that reveal happens when there's an image that suddenly appears on screen and like the camera stays on it so i guess the best way to start off is it's done in a faux one take that is very convincing but you know the opening credits do give away that there's an editor on the movie but man it's seamless it feels like it's just one long take going on yeah and um, shout out to former good universe productions intern Lindsay armstrong who's the editor on this movie who i interned with at good universe productions which is a Lionsgate shoot off they were doing like all the seth rogan stuff this is the end at the time an old boy and this is uh and um harold and kumar is them <laughs> they have a lot of posters on the wall anyway I worked with her as an intern. We were reading scripts together and she has been an editorial assistant on Pixar stuff and a lot of stuff. So I was delighted to see full editor credit. Lindsay Armstrong, she edited this movie. I think it's maybe her first editor credit. And you're right. Masterfully done in terms of this movie's pretending to be a one take, but there's definitely some cuts somewhere. There have but to be. It's cuts convincing. Yeah, it's very, very convincing. And that's and oh I would boy. normally hate that as a gimmick. I would too. It kind of fits the material, which we're not going to talk about what the material is. We're gonna try to avoid Jesus, man. It's so hard. Okay, so it's about a group of women who start up a meeting to start up an organization to do some stuff around town and to push some ideas forward. And you kind of start to see those ideas in their, I don't know, I guess, semi-socially acceptable form in terms of what like a politician might say on stage. Um, And then what I really appreciate about this movie, I didn't quite appreciate. And this is one of the one of my problems with having to be a one take is that that essentially means we spend a lot of time just watching these characters 
go through a lot of things such as that meeting where you basically get like five or 10 minutes or so of just uninterrupted, unquestioned ideas. And yeah, I get that you, to, yeah, yeah. It starts to feel like you're there and you're participating and you feel, you feel dirty and gross and wrong. And, and yes, you, if, as long as you understand what's going on with this movie, you will feel dirty and gross. But the other problem is because those, some of those ideas are couched in language that you would hear from a certain type of politician. They also do, I think might start to feel a little bit acceptable to people. Now the yeah, point is there's, the, there's a sure clear, the, detra- the detractors yeah. would say this movie is a, a guide to recruiting people to this, to this viewpoint. And then I would say the second half of the movie refutes that, <laughs> but yeah. I could see the argument for people who hate this movie and they're already making it in their half star letterbox logs of this movie, which there are plenty. There are definitely I people could... who don't un- like don't appreciate the movie pointing this shit out, even if it is po- shining a light on a actual problem in this country. You know Correct. I mean? Yeah. But it is it does become for me, it did become a bit of an issue. But I do think ultimately the movie justifies yes. having all of those things because the entire thing and the reason that this hit me so hard in terms of as a thriller and as a horror film is that it shows this very clear progression of how thoughts become words and words become actions. And when you are working on the foundation of these kind of political beliefs, there is only one inevitable end to where those will go. And this film shows that in horrific graphic detail. And it needed to do that because we sometimes let politicians say stuff like this and get away with it without saying Hey, you know what? Maybe hold back on that. Maybe don't say things because those are going to result in a certain consequence. And that's what this film shows. Between the time I watched the screener and we talked about this movie, an incident that could have occurred in this movie happened to a major politician in this country. And like, I think that this movie dropping in that backdrop just perfectly proves the point that this movie actually is important and impactful and i mean you could argue like who is it for like the people who need to see it will never see it you could say that about any piece of art that's important though (laughs) like the people who need to see the shit will never see it um but it is this just raging indictment of being a like uh, 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 I don't. I don't know how to describe You're it. You're trying, like, to, avoid it. trying to political uh, theology. Uh, <laughs> like it's not. I like, guess is a movie about a group of white women meeting together. Yes, but is it is is the operative part the women part or the white part? I'll leave it at that. And um, this movie makes that clear. I think which part is more important to, to these women. Um, and man. It is just a pressure cooker in terms of like what this movie's like. I was trying to like compare it to something. It's like Henry portrait of a serial killer or something. If it were about like a race based hate crime, <laughs> like you're just, you're along for the ride as people commit heinous acts. But that's like where it builds to like, as, as, as Mark mentioned, like it starts with like the soft and quiet way that this, that this type of uh, hatred infiltrates our society uh, through words and through like these passive aggressive actions where in the opening scene, you're kind of like, what the fuck was that? Like, why did she do that? And then the way that information is revealed is like chilling. And like, when I say chilling, I mean like you'll get goosebumps if you think about the implications of what it's saying and what it means. And like, I'm of the, 
I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say, I don't want to say it like this. Cause like I say, I'm of the mind. It makes it sound like it's an opinion. These things, people with these views, not only are living in this country, they're like thriving politically right now. They might, they might, <laughs> we're not going to, there's an election next week and things might happen, but like these views are out there and they're festering and they're only getting worse and prominent figures are spouting it. And it's just, I love the way you put it. You couldn't have put it any better. Um, so I think, uh, the, the words leading to the actions eventually and how political speech or how hate speech is only speech until you're presented an opportunity for it to be a hate crime. And then maybe it'll be a hate crime. Um, it is, I haven't seen a movie that affected me like this in, in quite a while. It like was one I watched on a whim late at night. I think you told me I need to watch it. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And I, it legitimately gave me a stomach ache. It is relentlessly horrific viscerally uncomfortable which is absolutely the point but as i mentioned it's like sure to alienate and piss off people for that reason it's a harrowing sit it locks you into that hideously ugly pov and doesn't relent and that's why that one take gimmick actually aids the material i think like it really locks you in and you can't leave and that's what it's for and um you know i could nitpick a couple moments right that blunt the impact or moments that feel a little too safe or letting these characters off too easy. Um, but all are minor details in like this massively effective work that achieves what it sets out to do, which I'm not going to say what it is, but how it and how that issue manifests out in the open in ways both big and small, and visible and invisible. Um, it is it is an astounding movie. I feel like if you like it, I just don't know. I'm saying. If you like it, you're going to think it's like harrowing one of the best horror movies ever because it's a horror movie that's like real life horrors. There's no supernatural element. It's just like this shit happens and it's fucked up and you're going to look at it. Um, and there's people who are just going to flat out reject it. Um, but I think that's part of the fun. See which see which side you fall on. Soft and quiet. Uh, I, I can't wait. I wish I could set up like a YouTube challenge where people record themselves watching the opening minutes of this movie. I want to see everyone's faces when the, the first reveal happens <laughs> of what the meeting's about. It is such a moment. I'm leaning towards moving up my ranking to three and a half out of four on Roger Ebert's scale. Okay. Where are you? I'm at three. I'm at a very, very solid three. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's technically impressive. It's thematically relevant and it is just horrifying to watch. And yeah, yeah it's and it's, it's not I, I said graphic, but it's not entire a lot of it is left to suggestion, but man, it doesn't matter because you you feel all of that happening as it's happening. Yeah, you're in the you've room. been with it. Yeah. Yeah. You've been with it for so long and you know where it's all going at a certain point and unflinching, yeah. uncomfortable, angry. It's like a primal scream of a movie. Uh definitely not for everybody. I love a movie like this where I can know that I'm gonna recommend it and you're going to get a reaction from one way or the other. Someone's going to love it or hate it. I don't think there's going to be like someone who goes, that was okay. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be that on this movie. Um, let's get into the new Benson Moorhead, which I've, I'm a noted fan of theirs. Uh, and this is their latest film, Something in the Dirt. We're going to need some kind of visuals. People won't believe it. Start over. <laughs> Something happened. But what do we think went wrong?
still believe part of it was real. This city was designed according to this tablet. Maybe these gateways to other dimensions are actually all around us. You can catch it in scientific terms. It doesn't really matter. I don't think anything is worth what happened. You don't think that has anything to do with what we're doing downstairs? We're not quite in dangerous, uncharted territory yet. Oh, man. That trailer reminded me how much I love this movie, which out of Sundance, I said should have been called The Door That Wouldn't Shut. But Something in the Dirt is also a pretty good title. Mark, what is this movie? This one's somehow easier to describe, but also yeah. much more difficult to describe because you could like give away everything that happens in this movie doesn't and matter. it wouldn't, it doesn't yeah. matter because so much happens. And that's been kind of my issue with um, Benson Moorhead movies in the past. I'm not a big fan of spring. I know everybody loves it. Spring I like, is not my favorite, but yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people who love it because, you know, I remember that was the thing that got them on my radar was that came out and a lot of praise for it. And I thought, eh, okay, whatever. It's a messed up sort of relationship horror movie about something and eh, whatever. I like the endless because I think yeah, it had some interesting ideas to it, but I really, I really quite enjoyed this one because it is, you go into these movies after, if you know them as filmmakers, you go in with a couple of expectations. One of them is there's going to be a lot of inexplicable, inexplicable stuff happening. It's going to be either scientifically based or supernaturally based or have all this stuff. And you're going to be trying to piece together all this stuff. And what I really like about this movie is at a certain point, they kind of winkingly acknowledge the fact that like you're watching this movie and we are making this movie to get you to think about all this stuff. But if you're thinking about it too much, the joke's on you. And that's yes. what I liked about this. Me too. Because they are not taking themselves too seriously here in terms of all of the science. There's this whole plot about like a glass ashtray. That's what they think it is. But it turns out like it's some kind of crystal relic from another dimension, potentially, that emits all these lights. And it has like gravity-defying principles. And they have no clue what's going on with it. And they try to figure it out. And so they decide they're going to make a documentary about it. And then we're wondering, are we watching the documentary or are we watching actors play characters watching making a documentary? Or yeah, because there's talking they, heads in the movie. Yeah. yeah, there are talking heads cut in between yeah. talking about all these scientific concepts and about the actual process of making the documentary that we may or may not be watching. There's a lot of like... And then doesn't the it end, am, I, am I wrong in that it ends with like here's how we made the movie behind the scenes footage type shit too. Or am I wrong? I feel like there's maybe some of that. Yeah. There's some, yeah, there's some of that going on. Just in my memory, I'm like, this was a movie that like, it's like definitely like a movie made during COVID or like a pandemic era movie. That's not about the pandemic, but it's very much like of the pandemic and that it's about conspiracies and being driven mad by your being alone in lockdown type of shit. Um, and it also has that element about like a movie about making a movie with your buddy, which I feel like is the other half of this movie. But I would say this movie is a laugh out loud, hilarious comedy in the vein of like under the silver Lake. That's kind of making fun of and riffing on the idea of the, uh, I did my own research type of conspiracy minded people. So like, it's like the, if, and I joked in my review, which is something that, a hundred percent happened with under the silver lake where the people, the worst people in the world, the people on Reddit who think they know everything about movies 
like spent you know weeks and made an entire subreddit trying to understand all the threads that are present in something in under the silver lake which is a movie just like this one that's making fun of you for trying to understand this convoluted made up conspiracy plot right and i love that this movie is playfully hilarious while also is that like inventive lo-fi sci-fi conspiracy yarn that we come to expect from Benson and Moorhead. But at the same time, they're like definitely riffing on that and then making, as we mentioned, making fun of like the idea, the obsession that we have today with like par- uh, conspiracies and unexplained phenomenon and st- phenomena and stuff like that. Um, I really liked it for all those reasons. Yeah, and I liked it. And I, I mean, it's not mean about it either. It's not no, mean about making it's playful. It's, making, it's very it's, playful. yeah. It's playful, but it's also. I mean, you do get a sense that these characters are trying to make sense of their own lives, and that's the reason that they are so invested in one theory leading to another one, having completely different theories that juxtapose each other and don't work at all. They contradict each other. They are so invested in trying to have their lives mean something by figuring out this puzzle. It becomes kind of sad. It does. And it's, yeah, it's funny, but it also is kind of tragic about. Well, yeah, it's about like losing yourself in pursuit of chasing a conspiracy like that. Yeah. Uh, and it, yeah. yeah, I like, yeah, I definitely liked it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, yeah. I guess we're both just like, to see it. It's a good yeah, movie. We it's quite totally worth it. Yeah. Especially if you like what they've done in the past, this is, you know, kind of the same, but a bit different. And I think it's more grounded in these characters and in the reality of, that concept of trying to make sense of the world because your own life doesn't make any sense in your head. And yeah. And I, also you add that layer of doing that through film and it's just like this love letter yeah. to indie film, which is like a theme in all these like post pandemic movies, like X to me all about making movies with your friends, making smutty movies in the, in the, in the woods with your friends, which is what horror is all about and porn as well. But uh, I love that as a thread in movies that, the pandemic got people wistful about movie making and i appreciate this is this is probably the best example of the covid movies that are about making movies i will say that i really liked it and now for something completely different the estate which has to be in the running for the worst movie of the year here we go here's a trailer for the estate Hilda's dying cancer. And I don't really care. Mom, she's your sister. I know, but you know what a bitch she is. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Aunt Hilda is never going to write us into her will. She doesn't like us. She doesn't like anybody. In case you haven't noticed, our business is going down the tubes and our lives are falling apart. Let's go get rich from that dying old bitch. Aunt Hilda? We heard you weren't well. Anything inside of you two is going to cheer me up. Are you dim? Oh, cousin Beatrice is here from New York, huh? And she thinks that the sun shines out of my ass. We know why you're here. Do you think we look like idiots? Do you really want me to answer that question? Hey, cousins. What's up? No. I wouldn't lose touch with Aunt Hilda. I'm not a complete idiot. Oh, brother. How did this happen? How I'm going to the... let you take this. Okay, please. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the estate feels like somebody thought they could get away with turning an episode of um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia into a feature length movie. If all they had, you know, to do that, all they had to do was like get a bunch of A listers to say yes and that the movie would just work. And that's what this is. It's a 22 minute sitcom episode premise of like, what if a bunch of horrible people, a horrible family, 
just all were vying for the family money from their aunt when she died. And that's all it is. It's just that like really broad, stupid fucking shtick that we've seen a million times in a million different movies and TV shows. It's just that. And that's fine. It doesn't have to do anything revolutionary in terms of story, right? It just has to be funny. And it is not funny at all. Like they definitely did it in terms of, yes, they turned a 22 minute episode of a show (laughs) into a feature length movie, but they didn't succeed in that. It sucks horribly. It's so aggressively unfunny. Every joke is the most obvious joke you could possibly make. And it's also very mean-spirited in a way that Always Sunny pulls off because we love these characters and the writing is good. (laughs) And this movie, it just feels toxic. And it lacks any semblance of fun when all these characters that we don't haven't spent any time with so we don't know them or care about them they're all just mean to each other very like relentlessly mean to each other and there's also like this weird like anti-sex worker bent that like david Duchovny's character has that makes it that really feels like you're like the director just speaking through him it's very weird um because it comes off so aggressive um this movie mistakes being offensive for being funny it tries very hard to be offensive but it just comes off as embarrassing and try hard like cruelty and crassness themselves are not comedy there has to be like a joke to it and there's just not and i cannot believe how flat this movie falls and also it looks like shit the performances are all really bad even if the actors are good um but one cool fact that imdb told me mark is that this film is the triumphant reunion between david Duchovny and tony coletti or tony collette i never know how to pronounce it you can tell me in a second um triumphant reunion they appeared together in everyone's favorite movie from 2004 connie and carla remember that one no <laughs> i don't remember that <laughs> i'm pretty sure that was the movie directed by nina vardalos the 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 big fat greek wedding lady oh Oh yeah, it was a buddy comedy, or it wasn't directed yeah. by her actually. It just starred Nia Vardalos and Tony Coletti. Very famously bad it. movie in my mind. She, she wrote, wrote it, it okay. and starred in it with Tony Collette and David I saw Duchovny. that in the theater with my mom for sure. <laughs> I am very fascinated that you thought the most offensive part of David Duchovny's character was that he has an anti-sex worker bent, and not that he has apparently a fetish for. Um, having sex with cousins oh yeah i forgot about all that i didn't want to spoil i'm just kidding oh don't (laughs) there is i didn't want to spoil the incest plot in the movie there is this running joke that he really is in love with tony collette's character i think it's collette um yes is it totally in love with her even though she's his cousin and they keep harping on that idea until it eventually becomes apparent that it's not just her it's the idea of cousins and then it also means i guess it's like the the um incest version of soft and quiet where thoughts become words and words become actions because he just keeps hitting on all of his cousins by the end and it's so awkward and not funny and there's no there's no idea behind it except that oh isn't that creepy it's and so yeah it is Tommy too and like the plot yeah. like it just ends up being like we need to find a guy for our ma- our aunt to fuck it's just like oh and i forgot about the ron livingston character ron livingston yeah. plays the husband who married into this weird family and he's supposed to be like the voice of moral reason but then for some completely weird reason he does a complete 180 
and just is like, oh yeah, I'll have sex with my aunt-in-law to try to get this money. And then the movie does a complete 180 again and tries to make him the voice of moral reason. Like we just saw what you were trying to do and I don't care what your motive was. Why were you, why would, did you agree to that? If I, it, it, it doesn't even make any logical sense in terms of comedy and trying to where the joke is. It, it, it just does not work. Doesn't work at all. In addition to being always sunny, like it's obviously pulling for like arrested development stuff too, which is like just the, the rich, the, the, the class divide, I guess it definitely is, tr- you know, how many eat the rich movies have we had lately? And like, we've praised plenty of them. Like triangle of sadness is a good one, but like yeah. this one feels like it's just baselessly like they Someone had an old, really shitty draft of a script that wasn't even finished yet. And they're like, yeah, we have that thing that, that could qualify as an eat the rich movie. Just put it out and get some people attached. No idea how this happened or why it's coming out now and being dumped. I, but like, I it is don't just know. confoundingly bad. Don't know how this cast got involved in this. It's the weirdest thing. Like, what what does this filmmaker have on these people? <laughs> it's so yeah. weird. It feels it starts to feel like that. <laughs> it feels like that at a certain point. And like, why is like you know they're they're trying they're trying to be funny, but they're and Tony Collette has like the thankless job of trying to be like the straight woman, and she's just completely out of her depth it's yeah it's kind of a mess i really loathed watching this movie it's like a full one star maybe even a half a star out of out of four there's nothing of merit here for me i gave it one and that's very generous i think very generous probably probably because i've seen worse movies this year and that's about it and i think the cast tries to make some kind of joke out of material that just is not funny on a foundational level (laughs) yep there you go. Skip the estate. But you're going to want to watch Nocebo, which I believe is coming to Shudder eventually, but is in theaters and VOD now. Here is the trailer for Nocebo, which I caught at the Brooklyn Horror Festival opening night a couple weeks ago. Have you been anyway, Christine? After everything. Hi. Hello, Christine. Sorry, do we know each other? I'm here to help you. You sent for me. God. That's quite something to forget. Nice to meet you, Diana. Hello, Bobs. Only my friends call me Bobs. Straight to work, eh? Okay. I make it go away. This is a folk remedy, right? Feels like fog has lifted. It's not forever. I'm so happy. I will be with you. Always. I had a lot more fun with this one than I was expecting, uh, based on the director's previous film, which was Vivarium. The, like... It, my review of Vivarium was, I wish I liked that, but it would have been better. It was okay. But I wish it were just like a hour long episode of a Twilight Zone, and this movie actually feels like it justifies its you know fairly short ninety ish minute runtime. Uh, Mark, what is Nocebo? Uh, Nocebo has Eva Green as a um, fashion designer who, in the opening scene, learns some bad news over the phone, and then 
um, either has some sort of mental break or some sort of supernatural encounter with something. And the rest of the movie is kind of showing the consequences of that mental break or that supernatural uh, encounter while also introducing a character played by um, Chai Fonasir. Um, she plays the woman who comes in to help out around the house that Eva Green's character has no memory of hiring. And so good. Yeah, funny. she's, yeah. yeah. So, you know, we we were talking about perspective, I think, uh, on a certain movie earlier that I won't bring up by name so we don't get into that again. But this film <laughs> does some very interesting things with perspective in terms of giving equal weight and changing oh, the perspective yeah. in a way that makes you reevaluate the story that you've been watching and what the meaning of that story is and who we should be empathizing with even though at the start, it seems like we're supposed to be sympathizing with somebody else. And yes. also to call into question, why do we initially think we should be sympathizing with this person versus somebody else? I just want to throw that out there completely. Yeah, no, you know, just it's this- really great. I love the way it slowly reveals itself to be a class centric horror movie. Like at first, it seems like it's just like a typical sketchy nanny affair like what is she gonna do with the kid or there's also like the is she or isn't she nuts narrative going on with eva green and like the tick on her back and what is that doing to her like this movie is really great at misdirecting your energy and like where you think it's gonna go and i loved not only did i love the reveal of what the what the whole thing's about and what's driving the nanny to be there um i love the way it reveals it as well as the content of it, like the way it actually comes out and the sequence where the visuals are like, you know, her transported wherever she's supposed to be. But yeah, I don't want to give it away, but it's very well done. And like, it's more, it mines that is she crazy or isn't she stuff in like clever and inspired ways. And it introduces those themes I'm talking about very patiently to great effect. And Eva Green is great. Mark Strong is in this too. And he's great. Um, I thought this was just like a delightfully fun horror movie with some really creepy imagery throughout that keeps you engaged and guessing. Um, But like, there's also some meat on the bone, right? Like, what does this movie ultimately end up being about? It's about, I had to cut what I just said it was about because I think that gives away too much. But it is about stuff. (laughs) The movie is about an issue you could say it's like an issue based horror film but like it's not in terms of the way it unfolds does that make sense like it's like it it's like a fun horror movie that has a nice little message nestled in it but it's not but, message first i don't know does that make sense? because it works as a horror film at first because of the merit. perspective because yeah. it's creepy and the perspective that we have works but when it becomes about the other thing it genuinely becomes about that and it becomes a completely different movie and the tone shifts and becomes angrier and it works because you do have a sense of both of these characters and what they're going through. And you clearly start to feel more for one than the other by the end. And that's, that's why it works. Yeah. And it works three out of four on the Ebert scale for me and for me too. And now we're going to stick within the Brooklyn horror festival and talk about a movie I saw there that I didn't care for, even though I thought I might based on how cool the setup was but I don't think it ultimately did much with it. Uh, here is Next Exit, which I'm assuming is in theaters and on VOD. So why can some people see ghosts? The strong connection between Rio and his father brought them together, and the rest as well. History in the making. 
I'm taking a trip. Where are you going? It's difficult to say. So this is supposed to be goodbye. No, I'll, I'll come back and haunt you. Are you two together? She should be so lucky. When's your appointment? Seven days. Mine's in five. You serial killer? Yeah, no. 6 a.m. the car leaves. Sharp. Razor. We're not pals. We're not in this together, okay? How many people know what it's like to be us right now? At our institute, we now bridge dozens of new participants daily from this world to the next. Once you're in a state of passing, we terminate your physical form. Three, two, one. Wait. Mark, did you see On the Count of Three, that movie from Sundance maybe last year, that starred Gerard Carmichael and what's that guy's name? Christopher Abbott? Yeah, I did see it. Did you also make that mental connection while watching Next um, Exit? No, but I did kind of see where you were coming from when I read that you had made that connection mentally watching it. And I'm yeah. like, okay, yeah, I, I kind of it, see. It's like the same premise, except done completely differently. So if you didn't see that movie, that's a movie about two guys. It's kind of like a road trip comedy, but isn't the thing like they've, they've promised to kill each other? Yeah, they both are feeling suicidal and they agree that at the end of their mission, they will kill each other. So, yeah. Yeah. So this version is like a movie where two people are trying to kill themselves. Like that's what this movie's about. You could say those are both, these are both suicidal ideation movies, but this one has like a very light sci-fi genre twist to it. But I would say this is about equally as satisfying as on the count of three, which is to say not very much. Um, Karen Gillan shows up just to do like Elizabeth Holmes cosplay and disappear. Um, but as you saw from the trailer, you kind of get what the premise is, which I think is really cool. And I just wish the execution of the movie were, were better. Um, so the pre- premise is what Mark ghosts have been discovered that they actually exist. Yes. And because of that, people are now the homicide and suicide rates go up. They skyrocket because people know there's an afterlife. Um, and so, now this institute run by Karen Gillan's character is letting people transition into the next life. And in order to be monitored, it's, it's, it's weird. It doesn't, the it, text, that stuff is all weirdly more convoluted than it needs to be. It does not need to be this big confusing entity, but it ends up being this elusive thing, right? Yeah, because it's not really that important. As soon as you're introduced to these two characters, it just becomes a road trip movie about a mismatched pair trying to uh, get to a destination. And they both, it's not, plane trains and automobiles, but they're both going to their deaths. Yeah, and hoping to become ghosts at the end. And I don't, I, I mean, at, you know, if we're going to make a on the count of three comparison, I did like on the count of three well it's um, yeah at least that movie's fun in its pursuit it's, of its premise where this one is just it's, dour but pretends like it's fun i, I yeah know. it's trying to this one is just trying to i don't know it's just riffing off of these two characters being so different and not liking each other at first and and then they come to learn like oh we both have problems and we're gonna solve those problems along the way and i I don't really care that much <laughs> compared to what else is going on in the movie, which is, you know, that's the thing. Right? Real. It, it like, centers these two characters and it's this small scale movie about these two characters. It's all about their emotions and their, them wanting to die and stuff like that. 
when to me, and I think maybe you're getting there, which is like all the background stuff is what's compelling here. Like I, and like maybe a better movie, I wouldn't be saying that. Right. But like in this movie, I kept wanting to be like, yeah, shut up. I don't care. Characters. I would like to see what this future looks like with ghosts in it. You know what I mean? Well, well, just beyond that. I mean, like there's a huge elephant in the room, which is that there's an afterlife and these characters barely talk about it. They don't talk about any, they don't talk about their decisions at all. They don't talk about why they are deciding to do this. They don't talk about why they might think that that would be better. There's like, there are so many threads of conversations you could have in a world where the afterlife has been proven to exist and you want to get there as quick as you can. There, there's a whole bunch of conversations that could be happening within the premise as it's set up. And I don't understand why it's instead just about like, Oh, these characters have some problems they need to deal with. And uh, here they go on a road trip to deal. Why is it? Why is it so tedious? Like this would have worked really well if it were that dark comedy tone that, on the count of three had, but then I guess it would just be even more similar to that movie. But like, I just don't understand making this movie and then making it this, I guess dour is the word I used before, but it's also just boring and messy. And like, they're just on a road trip, you know where they're going and they stop along the way and meet people that changes their perspective or whatever. It's just like, it's all so perfunctory and trite and uh it never lives even close up to that premise of ghosts are real. Like, okay, so what does that mean? All it means is these two people want to ki- like. It's just it doesn't compute. Like the premise lining up with the setup. Like, okay, so they want to die, as you said, but for what? Why? Who are they? Yeah. What are, what are they? Yeah. Her character, her her big, the big uh, trauma to use the word again that she's experiencing Smash is kept the a secret button. Boom. It's kept a secret for so long. Do you think it's going to be some monumental thing? And then it turns out what it turns out to be, you're like, that's it. And I understand the character she brings up that she's had, you know, feelings, suicidal ideations since like she was a teenager. But I mean, that's, that's a subject that you could talk about. You know, you can, you can discuss that. It's okay in a movie to discuss that and to try to wrestle with it. But instead it's like, you need to give her some specific event that is somehow propelling her specifically into this direction and that feels like it cheapens it yeah and not to mention that the movie is like thoroughly unconvincing in all of its convictions right like i love the idea of everyone just accepting that ghosts are real now like the way the movie shows it it's like yeah there's this poorly edited video and everyone now believes ghosts are real like that that was kind of a big leap but like okay i'm you're setting up your world i'm sure there's more scientific evidence off screen i'll take that that's fine but like they never understand the mechanics of the institute where they're going to kill themselves like why is that necessary yeah what does that do for them other like why like why couldn't they just put a gun on their head like i didn't i don't think i ever really understood yeah i never got it either it has it has something to do i think with being able to track the ghost afterwards i don't stupid here's the thing i don't (laughs) care about those particulars as long as the story oh totally particulars forgiving of any of that yeah the movie was like emotional or like yeah but because it barely even deals with this idea it then you do start asking questions and yeah i mean i do wonder like you make a good point like oh everybody just blindly accepts like there's an afterlife and ghosts are real. We saw what happened with other scientific issues recently. Later, we'd have skeptics all over the place saying, no, it's just some guy in a suit 
<laughs> yeah, the so realistic weird. version of this movie would be we find out the afterlife is real and 60% of the country doesn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Despite actual evidence. Like, yeah. That would be the more interesting movie. But yeah, it's just like cool idea, man. But like put it, I don't know, put it workshop it a little more. Like there, there's, there's, there's no there's no there there. It feels like they came up with a fun idea and then kind of came up with this road movie around it. Like there's it never felt like a holistic experience. Like I was like being led to some amazing conclusion or anything. It's meandering. It was, it was not good. It's like a two, two out of four for me. Cause like, yeah, I appreciate what it's going for, but it didn't do it. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, there's some good moments in it. And I like I the lead actor, are... both lead actors are yeah. from, or I know the main guys from like Mike Flanagan stuff, like the haunting of Hill house. Oh, okay. Um, I'm trying to think if the girl is too, cause I feel like I knew her too. She also she is. Up. Yeah. Okay. She's well, also, they're both Hill House. They're both Mike Flanagan alums. And I'm assuming based on that, that this director must be also involved in Flanagan stuff. It must, it feels like a Flanagan-y production, even though it's not. But I like Mike Flanagan. I don't want to besmirch his name by, by putting this movie anywhere <laughs> near it. His name isn't on it. So it's not a Mike Flanagan thing, despite the, the two, two leads being from Mike Flanagan projects. All right, last movie of the day. A bonus movie that I don't know if Mark... Are you going to no. review the... Mark, I'm not. Mark, well, check out... I'm, why don't this you is go exclusive. To, why don't you go to markdoesnotreviewmovies.com <laughs> and you can find his empty page listing for Weird, Weird, the Al Yankovic story, I believe yeah. is the title. Uh, this is an exclusive Mark Reviews Movies <laughs> review only on the Roger and Me podcast. Holy cow. Uh, here we go. The Roku original film. The first, and maybe only. I'm tired of people thinking I'm some kind of joke. Your dad and I agreed it would be best if you just stop being who you are and doing the things you love. My whole life, all I wanted. I'm afraid we found your son at a polka party. Just to make up new words to a song that already exists. Oh. Well, you should do that then. Dude, I've got chills. It is such a bummer that Walk Hard beat this movie to the punch by so many years. Because in theory, right, Weird Al, a biopic about Weird Al, that's a parody of the of biopics the whole genre that just kind of is a parody of all those elements what a great idea and what a perfect vehicle for that uh parody of biopics to be a weird al biopic because he's the guy who does parody songs right get it it's a great fit for the material and i honestly don't have much to criticize other than it's all tired because we've seen walk hard before and the jokes end up being the same jokes there are a few fun cameos and some scenes that I enjoyed. And I actually will. I, I was kind of with it until I wasn't. It, it was it was good for the first 20, 30 minutes, maybe. And then it kind of just meanders and like it becomes weirdly anti-Madonna. And there's a bunch of other weird elements about why it doesn't work. But I'm like definitely a two and a half on this movie of like, it's okay. Like if you're a Weird Al fan and you think the idea of a parody of a biopic starring him is funny, there are moments that 
definitely led me to believe that it was funny. <laughs> but as a movie, it's definitely wanting and nothing. It definitely feels like what it is. And what it is, is a feature length adaptation of a two minute Weird Al parody trailer for a what would a Weird Al biopic look like. So definitely better in two minute form than a hundred and also it's way too long it's almost like an hour 50 minutes it is like they go too far and like maybe that's a part of the joke too is that like haha this weird owl movie it's a biopic is still going but i don't know did you hate it i didn't hate it it has it's it's a sketch comedy bit it's a, it's a series a sketch of comedy sketches bit. it's a sketch comedy bit for way too long and yeah you know, that line in the trailer that I wrote it down because I didn't see the trailer and I thought it was very funny. But like the opening scenes when he's at his, you know, the dinner table with his parents and like they're doing the classic biopic story of parents just don't understand. They don't like rock and roll. But in this movie, it's polka. So it's funny when he gets caught going to a polka party. But like uh, his mom saying, you know, I would prefer uh, what, what does she say? Give up on your dreams or you're going to have to stop being who you are and give up the things you love. Like just plainly putting out the biopic narrative. That is basically that type of thing. But like they have to dress it up with fancy biopic language and actual dialogue. The fact that she's just flatly saying the themes of these type of things like that works for me. Yeah. Until you realize that it's all been done by walk hard. And like, if you've never seen Walk Hard, this, this my weird review. If you've never seen Walk Hard, good movie, you'll enjoy this. If you've seen it, it's just a retread, and it's kind of a disappointment. But is that I, fair? Not, I don't know. I mean, maybe yes and no. I think it's doing a. I think you know Walk Hard. I I need to watch that again because I was not a fan of it when it came out. Oh, interesting. I, it definitely yeah, has I'm, had a reevaluation. I, I I mean, it definitely was always a bomb. Never made money. Yeah, but I think there were always people that liked it, but it definitely was. Has most, become a cult thing, yeah. Most of the people I know, critic wise, liked it or loved it when it came out, and I was kind of iffy you'll on it. You'll and appreciate I, this quick sidebar, but you go first, okay? Oh, no, I was no, go ahead with a sidebar. It's just a sidebar just... about Walk Hard and how, um, it was the day that I got my job at the Evanston movie theater, so it's 2007, clearly, at some point. Uh, but there was a special screening listed on the on the board for the movies. It just said special screening, seven o'clock. And because I just gotten the job, I had asked the manager. I was like, "What? What is that?" And he goes, "Oh, it's a test screening of Walk Hard." And I was like, "Can I go to it?" And he was like, he looked at the screen and was like, "I don't see why not. Sure." So he he let me get a ticket, and me and my dad ended up going to see it. So what happened was, it was it was a it was an advanced screening. It was a press screening. It was a radio screening they were supposed to invite people nobody invited anybody they forgot to send uh invites but they had five security guards there and a table set up to take your phone so it was literally me my dad and four or five security guards standing (laughs) in a in a 300 seat theater watching walk hard like a month early and just have we both thought it was great um it history has proven us right and i always thought it was so funny like i feel like a pr agent must have lost their job over that like they fully set up a screening that nobody was at (laughs) nobody went to uh anyway so weird (laughs) yeah that was weird yeah oh no no i mean the weird the title is weird (laughs) but no i mean beyond that i mean there's there's plenty of room i you know i like weird al i think he's funny i think he seems like a good guy 
Um, I've seen him in concert a couple times, actually. He's a really good performer. Beyond that, I mean, yeah, this should be perfect material just to make fun of it. But it does feel like so many just randomly thought out sketches. And I, I think you were very generous in saying a few cameos because there are times that the camera is filled with like 10 cameos. Oh, yeah. That there's from one made scene up- where I enjoyed the cameo onslaught. It's like the one where there's like a Pee Wee Herman and a Tiny Tim and, and uh, Conan Andy O'Brien as Andy Warhol. I laughed at just the concept of that. Like it just <laughs> yeah. And Weird Al said in an interview that like he had just he had heard he listens to Conan's podcast and he's also has done his podcast. But he heard Conan mention the movie and then just deep texted him was like, "Do you want to be in it? Come over today." And then like they did it. That's that's yeah. nuts because there are so so many cameos. Um, yeah, I it, I think. I think the joke is just kind of like this is this is a biopic and it then is also about like just turning weird out. I, I don't again, I don't I don't think that comedy needs any kind of logistical or logical consistency, but there is this weird uncertainty about like the rules of this world where weird al becomes like the biggest star ever and where polka is outlawed apparently <laughs> that, like, polka is the equivalent of having a drunken party i didn't get it in terms of that and that makes me just feel like the movie is just a bunch of series of sketch ideas that aren't fleshed out enough for the whole movie to work and for a lot did of you, the sketches to work. I did, think some of them are funny. Some of the stuff at the beginning is really funny. Yeah. I laughed. I laughed out loud at like the devil squeeze box line. Yes. I, Didn't <laughs> you think that it was good? Yeah. For the first 20 minutes, I was like, oh, I'm going to be one of those people who loves this. This is really fun. And then it just really, it just doesn't have anywhere to go. Right. Yeah. It doesn't have any ideas for how to tell the story, except to just well, to make a, weird I think it has like completely different. It has two ideas, and they're both kind of weird. The first idea is to do like the what if we joked that he wrote Eat It and then Michael Jackson parodied him, and that's in the, that's how it happened in this biopic world, which is like, again, I think you, you nailed it with saying it's just a series of sketches because, like, that's a funny sketch, right? Yes. But it's not a funny plot point in a movie no. when you have to like work that into a, a story. And then the second thing it tries to do is to have like Madonna be like this chaos agent who is like this evil succubus who wants him to create a parody song for her so she could be more popular, which is just, you know, I think the whole joke of it is she was the most popular artist in the world at the time. So it's silly that she would be like, you know, wanting Weird Al. Like maybe that's the whole joke, but it comes off as kind of sexist, kind of misogynist, definitely anti-Madonna, if not those things. It's just weird. And I didn't think it was funny enough to justify making that like the whole crux of the movie. Right. Yeah. No, that definitely doesn't function right. And then there's an entire thing of him going into the jungle to go after, you know, this the whole kidnapping and like, plot with Pablo and it, Escobar. Right. And, like, and, and when it goes and that, that stuff would be fine if maybe it would be fine if the movie weren't so cheap and looked because when it when it goes to the jungle it starts to look really like you start to see that the, it's limitations yeah as a roku original yeah and i mean that's i mean i don't want to i don't want to besmirch the good name of roku which is yeah we have a lot of listeners in i roku have a lot City. of well i mean i use a, i use a lot of roku stuff i'm not gonna lie about that but i mean you know i didn't cover this because i thought it was gonna be basically a glorified tv movie and when the movie itself actually does have you know, commercial breaks within it. It sure it does. has. It has 
quick blackouts that are clearly meant to be where the commercials are going to fit in. I'm like, yeah, I don't feel too bad about not actually officially covering this. I actually finished it after midnight. So I jumped on like Roku and just watched it that way. And you're right. There are commercials. Oh, are, are they actually where they, you know, yep, cut they're the exactly blocks? where you think they are. And and, hmm. and by that, I I'm mean, good. there are way more than there should be. Like there yeah. are, if you watch it with commercials on Roku, that is definitely a well over two hour experience, which is kind of absurd. So in that regard, maybe I'll knock it down to two, now two and a half feels right because I yeah no no it's yeah. still yeah it's still the movie itself. I'm just saying like in terms of why I didn't cover it on my site. That's why because it felt like you know you can get away with like you know Netflix makes movies. They make movies that are gonna just play uninterrupted. This I don't know what Roku's you know even Hulu even when Hulu did original movies and they still had like commercial based thing they those movies played as they played out. There weren't commercial breaks within them. Roku yeah. is completely ad based. It's, yeah. you know, I get it, but you know, I, if you want to make your originals, like actual legitimate movies that don't feel like made to TV movies, yeah. just play them out. I think there's a part of me that thinks it's funny that like this movie exists on Roku. And that's like another layer of joke. But I mean, the truth of it is weird. Al will tell you and has told people they shop this around to everybody. And nobody wanted it. And Roku is the only company that said, we'll give you money to do it. So it's not like they wanted it to be that. That's the joke. It's on Roku. Ha ha. But I do think you're doing a parody of biopics. You should drop it on a parody of a streaming service and put it on yeah. Roku. I mean, again, I also am not besmirching Roku. I have a Roku. Um, I actually only recently started using Roku, but I love it much more than... I was using like my Xbox downstairs to watch stuff. Oh, and it's my, much better than that. Yeah, it is. It's uh, I have the Roku, the the fanciest one, the like Ultra HD whatever. So the 4K one because I have a new 4K projector down here, and the H, uh, the Xbox is honestly fine. It's it's less. It's more the user interface that's annoying, and like you know, I don't want to make my wife use an Xbox controller to navigate her programming. So the Roku has been great. Um, and <laughs> the original content <laughs> the original content no that's the thing I've been joking we joke on the new flesh all the time about Tubi and how Tubi we call it the dirtbag one of the dirtbag streaming services which we mean they're free the free streaming services it's great but it's great genuinely great we love Tubi we're always joking about how Tubi is the best thing it has a deep catalog of things you'd never expect to find and you can watch them all for free it's really insane how much stuff they have and they don't advertise um but I was like, the moment they start making original content, I'm fucking out. <laughs> and they did. They made Terror Train, the remake, <laughs> which played at the Brooklyn Horror Festival, is now on Tubi with commercials. But I understand what they're doing. Everyone's going to try to do stuff like that. But I appreciate the free streaming services. And I'm, su- I'm sure Roku actually has their own, too. Clearly, this is yeah, on there's Roku. There's a Roku channel. <laughs> there's a Roku channel somewhere. I, apparently, I watched it last night. Um, but yeah, Weird Al. I've been, I've been on a... Roku tangent for a couple minutes now, but Weird Al movie. Oh, we haven't even talked about Daniel Radcliffe's performance, which is fine. And fine. The fact that Weird Al's voice comes through every time the songs come through. Another funny idea that's kind of funny the first time, but weird the rest of and, the time. And Weird Al himself shows up as yes, a record like executive a record who exact. turns him down and then looks very uncomfortable as he's getting insulted. Yes. <laughs> which is, again, funny gag, but yeah. where do you go with it? Like, it's all I I want I wish I liked it more because of all the funny people in it and like clearly the idea is just like let's make a very silly movie but it's underbaked even given its circumstances but it's yeah. 
it's all right. And if I didn't see if Walk Hard didn't exist, I would maybe be calling it like revolutionary and like brilliant send up of tropes because I do think it's funny the way it does those things. Uh, but they're also it's it's like we all knew we all joke that after Walk every time there's a biopic, there's someone usually me and other people who say. Yeah, tough break making that after Walk Hard. Like Elvis. Why would they make Elvis after Walk Hard? It just does, it treads all the same stuff, but seriously. And who knew that you can't also make another parody of biopics because it will also be ruined by Walk Hard. So Walk Hard's impact still being felt. Um, you gave it two, two and a half? Oh, yeah, I'll give it two. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you didn't give it anything. You're making I didn't it give it anything. Right I mean, I, put, I have like a placeholder on my website. It's, it's two stars. It's, okay. Yeah. That's cool. I did, like I said, I, I did laugh at some of the ideas in it and but man just yeah it's just unfortunate so just come up with either a good plot or maybe maybe just come up with just an actual series of sketches making the uhf2 essentially that's what i'm getting at i don't think weird al fans would have complained about that no they definitely would not have no all right well this was an eight movie roundup on friday november 4th 2022 We'll be back next week with, I'm going to whisper it like they do in the trailer, Wakanda Forever. We're back with Wakanda Forever. And I don't even know. We mentioned it. We talked off mic. There was a couple more. So there's a, there's a few. But definitely mostly Wakanda Forever. And uh, that's all, folks. The show starts in one...
Jalan Sar. Shut up. Ush. <laughs>